The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. Friends, welcome back to the Welsh Wire. We are so thrilled to have you with us today. Sherry Welsh, Welsh and Associates. You know who we are and what we do, Talent Acquisition in West Michigan. And today we've got a great program to share with you, a super fun guest. We get to talk a little bit about the space that is so near and dear to my heart, which is talent acquisition, attraction, retention, all of those kind of things, but specifically as it relates to non-family executives in the family business. And today we're co-producing our podcast with the Family Business Alliance in Grand Rapids, talking about a topic that's so near and dear to the hearts of family business owners. Um, Our special guest today, who I'm thrilled to have with us, is Robert Stead. He is the Michigan Managing Partner for Barnes & Thornburg in Grand Rapids. Bob, welcome to the Welsh Wire. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. I'm looking forward to this. It's a pleasure. Me too. Again, so excited to talk with you about what it means to do this whole thing of transition and find non-family members to come into the family business. But first, before we get started, Bob, can you tell our listeners a little about your background, um, your experience with working in family businesses? I think they'd be interested to hear that. Sure. I'd be happy to do that, Sherry. So, about half of my practice really deals with mergers and acquisitions work, but the core of my practice really is serving as outside general counsel for a lot of family-owned or closely held businesses. And of course, we have a whole lot of them here in West Michigan and even in Michigan generally. So you run into these issues on a frequent basis, and you and I talked a little bit as we were preparing about this, about in comparing notes on how this happens and you know what you know how do you continue the business on uh for the family's benefit and so on so um i'm kind of steeped in that as you are so happy to talk about the topic great so we have an expert with us today friends as we talk with bob about this so let's start at the very beginning bob i mean talk a bit if you would please about what kind of situations does a family business find themselves in where they need to look for an what we might call an outsider, you know, someone outside of the organization to run their business? What kind of situations drive them to be in that place? Well, I think there's probably two or three uh, that really drive those, Sherry. One is if they don't have somebody within the organization that happens to be in their family that's really qualified to run the business. Uh, you know, they may have other interests. I mean, every family has, you know, children, grandchildren, and so on, but they all have their own independent interests and things they like to do. Some of them may be steeped in the business, some of them may not. And so there may not be an heir apparent to that particular role as CEO of the business. The other one is if you have somebody who, let's say they feel duty bound to do the work within the business, they, you know, they, they feel it's a burden. I mean, they're qualified yeah. and they have the ability, uh, but they, you know, their passion isn't there. They really have some other passion that's driving them but they feel like they have to do it. 
So I think those are, you know, probably the two most frequently occurring things that happen within these businesses. And then they have to go out and say, we have a couple of choices. Either we can sell this business and we can turn it over to somebody else, or we can find our next person to lead the organization and take it, uh, take it forward. Right, right. And I would imagine that these kind of issues can crop up really at any time in, in a second generation family business, right? Any of these issues, but they probably crop up with more frequency when you start talking about third generation and beyond because the family really changes over the years. Is that what you found? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you and I were sharing a little bit about this as we prepared for this podcast. Is it, you know, there I think you get a little further away from the principles that maybe the founders had. Um, again, you know, maybe the, the business has been successful. So it's afforded the the family some flexibility to explore yeah. other things. And that uh, you know, and then that leads to this deficit you may have, you know, within your own family to go ahead and support the ongoing operation of the business. Right, right. So the longer that the the family business is in operation, the more likely it is that they're going to find themselves in a situation where they need to consider folks outside the family to run their ongoing business. You have suggested, too, that the family needs to consider, as they look outside for a new leader, right, they need to consider if they're truly willing and prepared Mm-hmm. to accept what we're calling an outsider, right? To come in and lead the organization. Can you talk about that a little bit, Bob? Yeah, and I think, you know, I always analogize things to sports. You know, so if you're a coach and you're coming in, you know, and, and, and football was my passion. So if you come in as a football coach, you know, for a professional football team, but it, you you really want to have control over personnel and policy and you know, what type of organization you're going to have. And so if you have a coach that comes in, but there's a general manager above them, in this case, the general manager will really be the family and they're mm-hmm. not, and the family's not committed or the coach isn't given the authority to make player personnel decisions and make decisions on staff and direction and philosophy and culture, then I think it's a real challenge for that outsider to come in and be successful. That would be a tremendous challenge. And that's something that when you're making that decision to go outside for the first time is so, so critical to think about. And, you know, it really highlights the need for good secession planning, doesn't it? Uh, To to really know who your talent is, what their capabilities are. Do you have internal talent at all? I mean, because perhaps even outside of family members, there could be some other leaders outside of family, non-family leaders in the organization that are ready or not ready for the role. Can you right. talk about that a little bit? Sure. And I've seen really um, both sides of that, Sherry. Um, you know, there was a case you and I were talking about, you know, a little bit yesterday, which was you know, there was a person who was the chief operating officer of a company, but kind of lived in the shadow of the founder. And that person never was really given the authority to make independent decisions on his own. And the founder unexpectedly passed away. That person was thrust into that position of being the CEO and now having to make decisions, even though that person had respect within the organization from people that may have reported to him. What he didn't have experience doing was actually make decisions on things like strategy, 
and policy and capital investment. And, you know, he had input, but he never had the final say. And so yeah. he was, you know, he was really put in a difficult position and it, and it was a real challenge for him to make that leap um, because he was never asked. I mean, he was never empowered to make some of those decisions. Right. Um, conversely, you know, I had, a, you know, I've had experience with another situation where a person came up through the organization, earned tremendous amounts of respect, got different roles within the organization. So they got exposed to things like sales and marketing and operations and finance. And so they were very well-rounded and they were well-positioned to then assume the role of becoming the leader of the organization. And that one has worked, you know, marvelously well. Uh, so it's, you know, back to your original point, it's about succession planning, but that succession planning involves a lot of different elements. And that in itself requires a lot of commitment from the family and the existing leadership to get that person prepared and give them an opportunity to succeed. Right, right. And, you know, with that latter example, I think you you lay out a really great example of an organization that had a little forethought in this process, right? Um, you know, an example where someone gets ill and it's a, it's an emergency, we got to do a replacement, right? That That's a horrific situation to be in. But to some extent, we all recognize that we're not going to be here in our, in our roles forever, right? We need right. to be forward thinking, even if it does appear to be, it might be 10 years or 15 years down the road, we need to start thinking, could we be getting somebody ready internally? Is there the right person ready internally? What will it take for them? I mean, even just starting those frank conversations. And I, you know, being a family-owned business myself, I I understand this too because I've lived it, right? Right. So, right. you know, I eight years ago, I consulted with a friend about, you know, I don't think I have anyone in my family that's going to take the bit, what do I need to do? You know, my option was, was sell. And at that point we were in the frame of mind of, well, this is what we might have to do to sell the business someday and things to get ready. Lo and behold, little did I know that my son would actually a few years later express a desire to come into the business with me. Now the conversation is completely different about what do we do to get him ready? And even though that's many years away yet, that work is in process. And it just, I mean, for me, it personalized this whole conversation we're having today, right? About how important it is to give that forethought. Right. Yeah, no question. And, you know, and I think you also have to think about it this way too, because just like you described, Sherry, you were looking at things at a point in time, right? You know, it's so at, so the, true. First point, at the first point in time, there wasn't an heir apparent, you know, and your son may have not have been of an age where he could make that decision or wasn't familiar enough about the business to make an informed decision about what career path he or she would want to take, right? If you have, you know, sons and daughters who are involved, you know, at some level. I think it's also important that you you think about the inventory of things that are important to your people and your organization. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, and I'm sure you do that. You know, we do it within our firm. We think about people who are successors for our clients, and we think about what qualities are important for each one of those people to have good chemistry with the client. Right. right. So your right. inventory, personality, skill set, and so on. And so I think it's important that you do that inventory and be you know, be honest with yourself and just say, what do we really want? And uh, right. And what I do you want? Very helpful. Yep. So true. What do you want? What do others need? And what is it going to take 
to get them ready or to get us as an organization ready for that transition to happen. It really requires a lot of forethought. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Another issue that has to be considered is really around um, the authority and the autonomy that the family might be willing to give the new leader. You know, when the family is running the business and they're pretty much all on the same page, and especially when it's, you know, the founding entrepreneur, right? And they have an idea about the culture and the way we need to move forward. Um, and you really, when you bring in somebody else, that's going to start to shift a little bit, not suggesting that there shouldn't be alignment there, but they may have some different ideas or some thoughts. Walk sure. us through some of those thorny issues that happen there, Bob. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be candor on both sides uh, from the family as they make an assessment of a potential candidate. And there needs to be candor from the candidate about what they bring to the table and whether or not their philosophy and their approach is going to mesh well with what the family intends. So there, again, you need to have that frank discussion and, and see if there is a good fit. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that if the family is, is buying into the new person coming in, the outsider coming into the business, they have to be fully committed to allow him or her to be successful in that role. They can't sabotage that role. Um, and if they, if they feel like they're you know, going off course a little bit from what they intended, then they, as leaders, you know, whether it's you know the family remains as members of the board of directors, and you have this new CEO, for example, that is supporting to them, they need to have kind of that private discussion about whether or not they're still aligned in terms of values and direction and so on. And then you know, and they can find out whether or not they can make that course correction or not. And oftentimes, more often than not, in my experience, they can find that place where they can both be successful and be aligned. Right. That, that is excellent advice. And <clears throat> it occurs to me that, you know, in the, in the conversations, in the interview process, right, as candidates are looking at joining the family business from the, you know, from the outside or lead, you know, stepping up into that role and the family business is assessing who is the next person to lead. Sometimes we all put on our game face, don't we? I mean, we, we want to kind of gloss over sort of the, the ugly and the bad situations and that just present the good. Um, and I think we we're saying here, we need to be really open and really transparent about everything that we're thinking needs to be done or or could be done in the future so that we all know where we're at because there's things where there may be misalignment and if that it is, that isn't understood right at the beginning it can lead to a disastrous transition or higher at this time right right absolutely you know and i think some of those conversations here are just uncomfortable conversations for many people to have they and, are and yet they're so important to have uh, right. So, you know, you need to be prepared to go in and both sides need to be prepared to have those uncomfortable conversations and be frank and honest. Right. And making sure you're on the same page. You know, I'm often as I work with leaders, I'm often struck by people's um, perspective as leaders in terms of how they view running their business. And, you know, a lot of people fall into a bucket where they're a builder. Mm-hmm. Or they're more of a maintainer and an enhancer, right? And I think folks know what we mean by that. And if the family business sees their business as one that needs to be built 
and going after new markets and really on fast growth. But they're talking to someone who's really more of a maintainer and an enhancer. We may have a huge disconnect and the vice versa is also true, right? The opposite is also true. Oh, that, I mean, that, I mean, that's such a great point. And, um, you know, again, when you think about alignment, it falls into a lot of different buckets. And one of the things you do find in these businesses, the entrepreneur who started that business, and you find this in, you know, companies that end up going public. I mean, to think about, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, or you think about, right. you know, I mean, pe- people like that. And, you know, they're the rare individuals that are able to take a business from the ground up and build it and still, and then transition over into being a great leader within a more mature organization uh, that's you know, moving forward. But I do think you, you just hit on a great topic. And it's, again, this goes to direction. What are you trying to accomplish with the business? Are you going to, you know, no business remains static. There's, there's always going to be evolution in a business. And you need to have somebody who can be responsive, be creative, be a great leader, great, be a great motivator, be a team player. I mean, you, again, this is the inventory of qualities that I think uh, every family needs to identify as they walk through this decision to actually bring in an outsider and make sure they're aligned. The other, I'm, one of the things that just came to mind as we we're talking about this is even within a family, you can have differences of opinion. And oh, so, sure. And so, you know, I'm, you know, it's, and it's not always a monolithic thing where you have one person. And so that new leader that comes in from outside needs to know to whom they need to take direction. I mean, is it, you know, who on the board? I mean, who leads, the, who's the chairperson on the board? Or is there somebody else who's going to be designated as their point of contact that's, you know, going to run interference for them to make sure they can be successful? Right. That That is so true. Yeah. And, and once you really gone deeply into understanding each other, your values, your priorities, what's really important, then hopefully you can get that support because surely your new leader is going to bring some initiatives and priorities forward that are different than what the prior leader is or has done. Right. And that new leader needs to be assured and you as an organization need to be assured that you're prepared to support them given that they are in line with what you've already discussed for the future direction of the company. That's right. um, that everyone's going to want to be on the same page with that for sure. You also had um, talked a little bit, Bob, about how the family should consider if they're willing to provide real or what we might call synthetic equity or ownership, like phantom equity to the new leader. Now, I don't want to assume that everyone that's listening understands a concept of phantom equity. So maybe you can start by describing that a little bit, telling us what that means and how that works into a, a compensation sure. plan. Sure. And I'll try to do it without making anybody's eyes glaze over. Okay. So, so, <laughs> um, so, so there's, so there's real equity. So think about your type of entity that you have. If it's a corporation. You have stock. If you're a limited liability company, you have membership interests. If you're a partnership, you have partnership interests and so on. And so, so one of the things to gain alignment in terms of future growth and success of the company is to say, we want to make sure that you have some skin in the game, new leader. And part of your compensation package will be either real equity in the company or some type of synthetic equity like phantom stock, phantom equity. And the difference really is if you have true equity in a company, that equity has certain rights by statute. So, for example, if you're a corporation 
in virtually any state in the, in the country, you have certain information rights. And, you know, logically, your CEO, if you're bringing a CEO to lead the organization, they're going to have access to the types of things a shareholder would have access to, financial statements, tax returns, and things like that. That's right. But it also gives them a little bit of a bundle of rights so that if the majority, and presumably the family, takes actions that hurt that person's interest, that equity interest, mm-hmm. Over time, they can argue that that conduct is oppressive to them and they have a cause of action under state law, generally. Okay. Contrast that with phantom equity, which has a lot of the same. And by the way, there are some tax, you know, issues there as well. Again, I don't want to get into those details, but, you know, anybody who's considering that should consult a benefits person or a tax, you know, their accountant or a tax lawyer that they're working with. Synthetic equity, on the other hand, is just like the name implies, it's equity, so it tracks the value of the company. So you say, hey, look, the company is worth a million dollars today, and we're going to give you 10% phantom equity. And so if the company now grows to be $10 million, they participate in 10% of that value. And But they don't have the bundle of statutory rights associated with arguing oppression, for example. Right. Shareholder. Um, but it allows them to participate in the upside and growth of the business in a different way. And it's aligned with the family, presumably the family's uh, desire to grow the company. Right, right. Really important considerations. This whole concept of equity when you are bringing in a new CEO from outside the organization or promoting from someone from within that's not family. Because your leader wants to know that when they drive results for the organization, they have an opportunity to win and win big as well. This is a really critical component of designing an excellent compensation plan to attract the right person into that role. And I think what I hear you saying is, if you're in that spot, get get some professional help, get some legal counsel to guide you through the right decisions as you structure that. Correct. Absolutely. And Sherry, I would just put it back to you on that question. How frequently do you see that in your experience? Because you're recruiting people, you know, at really high levels. And and so I don't know what your experience is. Are you seeing equity-based compensation plans? And what's the breakdown on that? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. At at the C-suite level, for sure. Yep. Absolutely. And it it runs a variety of, as you say, phantom equity or real equity in the company, uh, depending on the situation, right? And the organization and what they have an appetite for. Um, But it's critically important to getting the right person on board. Um, Let's talk about another critical issue too. And that is family disputes, right? (laughs) Okay. So one of the things that we do here, you know, occasionally is, oh, family businesses, that can be a dangerous situation for me to consider as a CEO, because, you know, there's sometimes infighting and I don't want to be put in the middle of that. And I might be the mediator and somehow I could lose in all of this. So what do you suggest for the family business as they look at bringing that outsider about that whole conversation about family disputes and mediating and getting through those sticky issues because they happen. Let's get real. They happen. Oh my, Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I think it really puts, as you just, you put your finger on it, it puts that new leader in a very, very awkward position because they're being asked to pick sides. And so again, this is part of that candor and that frank conversation on the front end you need to have and say, look, you're bringing me in to help run this business not to be a counselor or a therapist for your family and some of the challenges you may have. So 
to me, it's all about establishing boundaries um, between the family side and helping them, you know, resolve their disputes. But again, this goes back to an issue we spoke about a few minutes ago, which is where, you know, who's giving direction to that leader about what's happening in business. So if you have this family dispute about direction and whether or not they should sell the business and get liquidity or they should keep growing the business and make sure that it, you know, it goes to the next level, there needs, you know, Family, go ahead and have that discussion on your side of it and then let your leader know what that plan is. And right. I think that's that's the fair thing to do for everybody. And right. um, and you don't waste a lot of time with distraction in something that's not really helping to grow the business. Right, right, absolutely. And transparency in those conversations, as you just suggested, is so, so important, right? Having a go-to person, putting it on the table, being real about it. I would suggest also that if as a family business, you have had some history of scrabbles within the family, right? And others in the organization know that, um, you better make sure that you have a plan going forward for your new leader so that that won't happen again. And that you also are transparent about here's what's happened in the past and here's how we've got a fix for that today, because you can better but believe that new leader is going to hear about it from other employees right. when they come right. into the organization. And you don't want them starting out with a bit of fear that this could you know, turn its ugly head on them quickly. You want them to know, you know, we've had some struggles with this, but here's how we fixed it going forward. So they can start with confidence, right? right. Knowing that you're going to support them for success in their new role. Great, great advice, really all the way around, Bob. You have got a wealth of information about family businesses that are could be in transition, looking at transition for bringing non-family execs into leadership roles. And this has been a terrific conversation, but I bet there are folks listening right now who are saying, geez, I, I think I need a little bit more help. I need some advice. Bob's a great person to tap into. If they would like to get in touch with you, Bob, and learn a little bit more about what you know and see how you can help them. What's a great way for them to reach you? Probably the best way is by email, uh, Sherry. And uh, email address is robert.stead, and it's spelled S-T-E-A-D at btlaw.com. And um, be happy to, to respond to anybody who wants to reach out. Wonderful. Easy enough. We'll make sure that we uh, share that information again with our listeners. And we are so grateful to have as our guest today, Robert Stead, Bob Stead, the Michigan Managing Partner for Barnes and Thornburg in Grand Rapids, sharing with us again about bringing in non-family execs into the family business, wealth of knowledge, great advice and insight. Bob, thanks so much for being our guest today on The Welsh Wire. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Sherry. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.